This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. Thank you for those of you who prayed for me. I feel well and healthy and, yes, I went three weeks without hugging anybody. I almost had to go see a shrink. Yeah, I was definitely hug-deprived. <coughs> I was just thinking as I was sitting there, there's an interesting irony in me sitting in the audience and having the MC say, let's pray for a new lead pastor. <laughs> there's an irony in that, isn't there? And here's the great thing. I'm all for that. I think it's awesome, okay? So for those of you who are brand new to New Life, My name is Ron. I'm the founding pastor of New Life, and I am actually ready to retire uh, whenever God sees fit to make that happen, all right? Again, yeah, thank you. Uh, So um, God willing, that will happen, and it'll be a great day for our church. Uh, I have one other thing to say. Uh, We have a group of people that meet at 8.30 every Sunday morning in the Sonoma room off the end of the lobby. Uh, And they are working their way through the Bible. It's called Bible Study Hour. It's led by Gordon McGee, who's a great Bible teacher. So they are just finishing up the book of Acts, and they will very soon begin working their way through the writings of the Apostle Paul, which is about half of the New Testament. Uh, and uh, that's just going to be a great time. So if you've ever considered going to a Bible study class, this would be a great time to jump in where you can get in on the beginning of these new writings. Gordon will be at the kiosk, at one of the kiosks out there in the lobby uh, after church. You can ask him questions, sign up, do whatever you want to do. Fair enough? All right. Did you happen to notice that we're launching a new ministry called Impact? Did you notice that on the way in? Of course you did. Um, I want to tell you that this this ministry has been on the drawing board for almost five years. So it's been a long time coming. It's had massive prayer put into it. And rarely have I been as excited to talk to our church about something as I am about this subject. So this Sunday, next Sunday, and the Sunday after that, we're just going to kind of be peeling the layers back so that our church actually gets the whole thing unveiled to all of us. It will be, I think, really phenomenal. I want you to look at the logo on the screen, and I'm only going to point out a couple of things this morning. There's a lot that the logo contains. But right away, you can see there's a heart in the middle of the logo, right? Because more than anything else, this entire ministry is going to be empowered by love. Not, not just love for each other, but love for the people in our community. Some of you have heard me tell this story 
And, and I'll, I'll see if I can tell it briefly. But when I was on the airplane flying here to begin new life, uh, I was watching a movie called Dave, and it's a funny movie. And, and um, in the movie, Dave impersonates the president for some reasons and not important this morning. But as he's going out to his very first event to, to pretend to be the president of the United States, he's being driven out by the head of the Secret Service, who is a no-nonsense kind of by-the-book kind of guy. And Dave is a bit of a goofball. And Dave turns to this guy who's all business. And he says, hey, dude, would you take a bullet for me? <laughs> well, the, the head of the Secret Service knows he's a fake. And he looks at him with disdain, doesn't even answer him, and he goes back to driving. You fast forward all the way to the end of the movie. And Dave is being driven out of the White House grounds for the last time by the same guy. And Dave has done amazing things in his tenure as the pretend president. And it's been really good for the government and really good for the country. And they're riding in, in the vehicle and this time, the head of the Secret Service breaks the silence. And he turns to Dave and he says, Hey, man, I would take a bullet for you now. I'm sitting in the plane and I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, Ron, you're going to this town that you don't even know anybody there. And I'm asking you to start a church in this town where you don't know anybody. I have a question to ask you on the way in. Would you take a bullet for those people that you don't even know? I'm contemplating that and I realize what God is asking me is, Ron, when you land in this town of Petaluma, Will you actually and deeply love the people of the community, not just the people that come to church? Would you love them to the point that you would take a bullet for them? Can I tell you that's deep? And that's a question not easily answered. And then I hear the voice of Jesus, not really but in my spirit. And I hear Jesus say, Ron, I just want to remind you, I already took a bullet for them on the cross. Now what I want to know, I gave my life for them. Will you give your life for them? I made God a promise that day that I would love the people of this community with all of my heart. And I would give all of myself to them. And it includes all of you. In a way, over the next three weeks, I think the Holy Spirit is going to be saying to us, new life, 
Would you take a bullet for this community? Is that fair enough? That's deep, huh? So good. Okay? In order to understand this, I think we have to understand our church a little bit. So I built a little diagram, and you'll see it up here on the screen. Our mission is helping people discover and experience life in Jesus by loving them the way that Jesus loves us all. I'm not going to break that down for us. It should be fairly clear, okay? There are four foundation stones, which are our four key strategies that we use to help us accomplish that mission. And you'll see them on the left. Dynamic large group gatherings. That's where we are right now. A second key strategy is relational small groups. And I know some of you have not been able to get in a small group. You're new to our church. You don't know how to do that. I have good news for you. In February, we're going to be doing small group signups, and you're going to get an opportunity to actually sign up for small groups. So if you can just hang on for two or three more weeks, you'll be there. Our third strategy is next generation investment. If you've never taken a tour of this part of our building, you should. It is amazing. The investment our church makes in the coming generation is absolutely phenomenal. And last of all, community engagement. And there's a reason why uh, community engagement is in red. Because over the next weeks, we're going to be talking about community engagement And we're going to be really upping our game in that area. Let's look at the logo one more time. Because there's a second thing that I would like to highlight. You can't miss the fact that the last three letters of impact are kind of accentuated, correct? And what small word do they make? Act, right? Because above all else... Impact is not about what we say or what we promote or what we talk about or what we make posters about and put on the wall. Impact is all about what we do. Okay? And that's why the act is always emphasized. Now, to understand the context of this, we have to go all the way back to the birth of Jesus. Because it's clear from Scripture that Jesus came into the world with the intent that he would actually change the world. He didn't come to just be a nice teacher, to maybe teach some cutting-edge things, to do some good deeds for people around him. Jesus came with the intent of changing the entire world. How do I know that? Well, at his birth, this is what the angel said to the shepherds. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for whom? Everybody. How big? Worldwide. A Savior has been born. From the very beginning, It was very clear from the angels on down 
that Jesus came to change the world. But the ministry of Jesus is far bigger than Jesus changing the world. As you study his life and ministry, it's very clear that he intended for his followers to also be world changers. That was always his intent, that you and I would be world changers. Does that seem a little daunting? Yeah. But you know what? There's, there's about three to four billion Jesus followers on the earth. If they're all working at changing the world, should do okay, don't you think? Yeah, should do great. How do I know that Jesus intended for us to be world changers? Well, one day when he was teaching, look at what he said. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, on a different subject, someday when I'm teaching, I'll teach you about salt and light. But what I want us to know is salt and light were highly valuable quantities in the world in which Jesus lived. They are in our world, aren't they? Yeah, salt is absolutely essential to life. And can you imagine living in a world without light? Yeah, it's impossible. Okay, but what Jesus was saying is not, you are the salt of your family, not you are the salt of your friendship circle, not even you are the salt of your community. What does he say? You are the salt of what? The earth, the light of the world was always Jesus' intent that you and I would be world changers. So there's a conclusion we can draw from all of this, and you'll see it up here. When his church is living as Jesus intended, it will have an amazing impact on its world because it would be impossible to change our world without impacting it. Well, that leads us to some really interesting questions and a conclusion as well. And the questions are up here. And the first is, well, then we should be asking ourselves, how can we best impact the world? If that's our job, if that was Jesus' intent for us, we should be asking ourselves, how can we impact our world? And before we answer that question, maybe we should dig a level deeper and ask, huh, how did Jesus impact his world? Would it not make sense that a Jesus-centered church will impact its world by doing its ministry in the way Jesus did his? Does that make logical sense to you? Yeah. So, this is not a political statement. Okay? But I watch Christians try to impact our world by changing laws and trying to infiltrate the government and pass Christian laws to change our world. Is that how Jesus changed his world? No. I'm going to get into this more next week. But when I was on my way here, there were so many things that God said to me in that airplane ride 
that have been absolutely ministry-shaping for new life. But one of them was this. said, Ron, I'm taking you to this place that is very post-Christian and has very little Christian heritage. And if you will listen to me, I want to use you and the church that I will establish through you to change the spiritual climate of the community. That's an impact, don't you think? Huge. And then he said this, but Ron, we will not change it by a hostile takeover. We will change it by a loving invasion of love and acceptance and genuine care for people. Because people can resist a hostile takeover, but people find it virtually impossible to resist love, acceptance, and generosity. Are you on board with that? That's powerful. That is what Jesus brought, right? Love, acceptance, and generosity of spirit toward everyone. So as we begin to work on this idea of community engagement, I thought it would be good for us, first of all, to talk about the causes that are closest to Christ's heart. Because whatever the causes are that were closest to his heart should be the causes that are closest to ours, right? Huh. As I began to pray through that and ponder that and process that with the Holy Spirit, he began to download a really interesting thing to me as well as a a sort of homework project. And the idea is (coughs) that there are three causes that are closest to Christ's heart. And he said to me, if you don't believe this, go get three different colored highlighters, get you a cheap paperback New Testament, And there are four documentaries of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are at the beginning of the New Testament. And every time Jesus is working on cause number one, highlight it in a certain color, all the verses where he's working on that. Every time he's working on cause number two, highlight it in a different color, all those verses, Every time he's working on cause number three, highlight it in that third color. And when you're done, just flip back through the pages and look at what you see. And you know what the end result is? If you did that, you would see on every page of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, multiple sections highlighted because Jesus was working on one or more of these causes every day, all day long, during his entire ministry. That's how we know they are the causes closest to his heart. 
Are you interested in what they might be? Me too. Come back next week. No, I'm teasing. All right. Let's take a look. All right. Cause number one is this. Those which spread the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. That is probably not a surprise to anyone here. That's when we all get right. Because multiple times, the writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John describe Jesus' ministry like this, as we read. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. It's in there over and over and over and over again. Because that is the cause, one of the main ones, that's closest to Christ's heart. It could be argued that that's the supreme cause and the others are part of that cause. I won't get into that today. But you know, as I looked at that, I thought, hmm. So what is it about the kingdom that makes it actually good news? If the writers were going to describe that Jesus is out there sharing good news, what is it about the kingdom that makes it good news? Well, this is not an exhaustive list, but these four things certainly cover a lot of the basics. Number one, Jesus came with the announcement that God is for you, that God is for us, not against us. Now, we live 2,000 years this side of Jesus. That's pretty much common knowledge. Did you know that Jesus was the first religious leader in the history of the world to ever teach that? The first. No one had ever postulated that idea. God, or the gods in this pagan world, were all considered distant deities who sat in judgment of human people and punished or rewarded them based upon what they did. And if you didn't do the right rituals and offer the right sacrifices and do the right things, you could expect to be cursed. Because God's not fundamentally for you. God is fundamentally above you. Huh. Jesus said, I have good news. God's not fundamentally above you. Yes, he is above you. But he chooses to be your father, not your judge. Good news. Secondly, God is providing a way for us to have our sins forgiven. Every religious leader in the world said you have to atone for your own sins by doing the proper penance, by offering the right sacrifices, by jumping through the right religious hoops, by going to the right festivals, sometimes by cutting yourself with knives and stones, uh, just all this crazy stuff. And Jesus came along and said, I have good news. God wants to forgive you of your sins. And he's actually willing to pay the penalty for your sins himself. Wow. Good news. Third, 
God is providing a way for our lives to be transformed. No religious leader in the world had ever postulated that idea. If your life was going to change, it was Operation Bootstraps. You know what I mean? You took a hold of your own bootstraps and you lifted yourself up. Ever tried that? That's pretty hard. Jesus came along and he taught people, if you will open your heart to this God who is for you and to this God who wants to forgive your sins, if you will open your heart to him, he will begin to create in you a new life a beautiful life. You won't just be improved. You will be transformed. That's good news. I think many times, maybe the greatest thing that God has ever done for me is save me from myself. You ever feel that way? Yeah. Yeah. And last of all, God is inviting us to live with him forever. God's not going to give us our own planet where we can go over there and do whatever we want to do. God's not going to somehow reincarnate us (coughs) to a better life on this earth. That the good news is God loves us to the point that he is saying, my children, When you die, I'm inviting you to come and not live somewhere good. Live with me in my house forever. For us as a church, we will always and forever be about those four things. Does that make sense? Absolutely. We will be announcing the good news of the kingdom. Next Sunday, we're going to watch some of our friends get baptized. Baptism is this wonderful picture of our friends accepting those four things and saying, Amen. Amen. Cause number two is this those which serve and elevated the marginalized and the oppressed. Hmm. I want you to think two things. People that are marginalized are people who are pushed out to the margins. Okay? People who are oppressed are people who are pushed down. Got it? Are there any people in our world that are marginalized that you know of? They're everywhere. Are there any people in our world that are oppressed and pushed down? Yeah, there are. They're everywhere. Jesus is calling us to serve and elevate these groups of people. Thank you, Gordon. Yeah. Rather than put a ton of scriptures and tell you a ton of stories, 
<clears throat> I want to put some people groups up on the screen that were marginalized and oppressed in Jesus' day. And if you've read any of Jesus' life, you'll recognize some of these categories. Children. Did you know children could be bought and sold as slaves in Jesus' day? Speaking of having no personal rights and being marginalized and even oppressed. And so when people, parents, started bringing their children to Jesus, what did the people around Jesus say? Get them out of here. What did Jesus say? Bring the children to me. Elevating those who are marginalized. Women. Did you know women could also be bought and sold as slaves? They were just considered property if they were married. If they weren't married, it was even worse. And so Jesus worked continually in his ministry to elevate the cause of women. Sinners. The, is, the nation of Israel had what we call glory theology. <clears throat> and glory theology was this. If you were living right, God would bless you. And if you were living wrong, God would curse you. So for people who were living wrong, they were sinners. How did they get treated? Like the worst of society. And they were continually marginalized. And you and I can pick up the Bible and read in one sentence something that should cause us to be shaken to our core. Jesus sat and ate with the prostitutes and the notorious sinners. The Galileans and the Samaritans. To the people in Judea, Galilee and Samaria were on the wrong side of the tracks. You understand that terminology? They were the low-class people. They didn't really deserve to be among the chosen. Do we have anything like that in our world? Every town that I know of has a wrong side of the tracks. Huh. Jesus continually worked. In fact, Jesus could choose to live anywhere. Where did he choose to live? In Galilee. On the wrong side of the tracks. So much so, Jesus chose the most notorious town on the wrong side of the tracks. It was the Las Vegas of Galilee. And one day, somebody said, can anything good come from Nazareth? You have to be kidding. Yeah. Elevating the marginalized and the oppressed the blind, the disabled, and the lepers. Remember that theology? If you're living right, God will bless you. And if you're living wrong, God will curse you. Guess what they believed about every disabled, every blind, every lame, and every leprous person? That they were awful sinners and therefore should be banned and marginalized. And it was even okay to oppress them. 
but not with Jesus. The rich and the famous. There's this interesting juxtaposition. You would think then that with this glory theology that if you're living right, God would bless you. What would they think about every rich person? Oh, they must be the most holy and righteous person there is. The only problem was they lived next to them and knew the truth. And they realized that many of them got that way because they cheated and they oppressed others. That kind of shook up their theology. And so they would often marginalize the rich and the famous and judge them. We don't we never do that, right? Yeah, right. We have to fight that same thing. The poor and the unknown. Listen. Cause number one. Causes that spread the good news of the kingdom of Jesus. Number two, cause number two, is serving and elevating the marginalized and the oppressed. Cause number three is this. Those which relieve human suffering. One of my favorite descriptions of Jesus' ministry is right here. Jesus healed every kind of disease and illness. One day, Jesus was in a synagogue, and a woman came into the synagogue that that suffered from a condition I know you've all seen. Okay? Her back was so bent, she could not stand up. This was It was like this. And everywhere she went, have you seen that? You've all seen that, right? Now, it happened to be the Sabbath. And the leaders of the synagogue were watching Jesus specifically to find out if he would choose to heal her on the Sabbath, which they considered to be a violation of the Sabbath. And Jesus took this poor woman who was all bent over And he guided her up to the front of the synagogue where they could all see her. And then he looked at the crowd and he said this. He said, when you have an ox and it falls into the ditch on the Sabbath and it's going to take a lot of work to get that ox out, do you look at the ox and say, tough luck, buddy, it's the Sabbath. Or do you go and do you get that ox out where it will not suffer in the ditch? They knew the answer. Jesus said, look at this woman who has been bound for years. If you will set your ox free on the Sabbath, I will set her free today. Why would I ask her to suffer one more day? I pray that for many of us, maybe all of us, that God touches our heart 
with the plight of human suffering and that he will motivate us to say, wherever I can, I will relieve human suffering. Are you on board with that? Yeah, absolutely. Gus, let's skip ahead a couple of slides. This is how Jesus described his own ministry. One day he stood up in the synagogue and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's cause number one, right? He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That's cause number two, those who have been marginalized and oppressed. The blind will see that's relieving human suffering and that the oppressed will be set free. That's cause number two. You find all of those causes right there describing Jesus' ministry. And then I love the way he wrapped it up. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. You know what that means? God is for us. It's the time of his favor. Now, as we put a bow on this, there's a really important principle that I think we need to understand because it, in many ways, is the secret sauce that makes all this work. Take a look at the screen. The world doesn't change by simply changing the conditions people live in. Stop right there. We have organizations all over the world that are trying to change, actually in many cases, (coughs) are changing the conditions that people live in. But in spite of that, our world doesn't seem to be changing. Have you noticed that? You're not getting out of bed every day and turning on the news and the newscasters are saying, you know what? It's the strangest thing. We have no disasters to report. The world is getting better and better. No, it's the opposite. In spite of all these humanitarian organizations that are actually changing the conditions people live in, the unfortunate truth is it's not actually working. Now let's go back and read the rest. The world changes only when the people who live in it change. I want that to sink in. When we talk about serving and elevating those who are marginalized and oppressed, when we talk about relieving human suffering, when we talk about working with people who are real sinners, if all we do is change their living conditions, but we don't allow the good news of Jesus to change their life, they will simply ruin the new conditions. Does that make sense to everybody? And we've all seen that happen. So what actually makes the difference? Ponder this question. How can we do 
the things that Jesus did in a way that actually changes people, not just their living conditions. And this is where this entire teaching begins to come full circle. And here's the answer, you'll see it. By doing all of these in a context of genuine love for every person. The government can increase your social security benefit, but the one thing the government never can do for you is actually love you. I want to read you a verse about Jesus' life. Why did Jesus impact the world so so hugely? It wasn't just because he healed people who were sick. It wasn't just because he announced the good news of the kingdom. It wasn't just because he served and elevated those who were marginalized and oppressed. There was something Jesus did that had the power of God in it. Look at this description of Jesus. People throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. What was in the touch of his hand? It was more than just the power to make them well. There was real love. And when we go out to serve the marginalized and the oppressed, and they can tell that we are not there because we have pity on them or because we have compassion, when they can tell we are serving them because we love them. Because we would take a bullet for them. Then our world will begin to change. Let's go back to our mission. Helping people discover and experience life in Jesus by what? Loving them. Loving them as Jesus loves us all. And the heartbeat of our church, which Dan pointed us to a few minutes ago, here it is. Everybody's loved. Friend, I hope, if you're here for the first time, I hope when you walked in the doors of our campus that you felt loved, fully loved just as you are. We don't care what you've done. We don't care where you come from. We don't care what you look like. We don't even care what you're doing right now in life. You are loved. Everybody's loved. And we all understand, as Dan said so well, none of us is perfect. We all have some brokenness in our lives. Being broken isn't bad. It's human. Everybody on board with that? Yeah, and so we have to learn how to live with that brokenness and bring that brokenness to Jesus and let him begin to transform that brokenness without judging each other in the process. And that's why we believe 
that with Jesus, anything's possible. If you look at the tagline on our Impact logo, that's why it says, love is our greatest language. Because in the end, it's kind of the only thing that people really hear. And when they can sense love coming from us, they will open their hearts. And when they open their hearts, we will begin to have the most wonderful influence on them. Not because we have power over them, but because we love them. We're going to close our service. Well, we're going to sing a song afterwards, but for right now, we're going to move into a section of our service that we call communion. And uh, th this morning, we, we sang about your love changes everything, and he is faithful, and uh, those are such great songs. During communion, there's a song that's going to play uh, over the speakers, and there's a video that will be up on the screens. And it declares the good news of the kingdom of Jesus. And it says a truth that even if you don't know it's true, it is true of you. And that is you and I have lived in the goodness of God. We have so much to be grateful for. The communion kits, I apologize, they're not very cooperative. So for those of you who are brand new, it might take some getting used to. If you can't get it open, ask somebody next to you. They could probably help you, okay? But the communion kits are at tables around the auditorium. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then you can make your way to the tables Pick up your kits. I want to say communion at our church is open but optional. It's open in the sense that anyone that wants to honor Jesus can partake. It's optional in the sense that we don't want anyone in who comes to feel like they have to or that people will judge them if they don't get up and go to the tables. This church is not about that, okay? You be authentic wherever you are in your journey and we'll be okay with that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, while we are challenged by the causes that are closest to your heart, and we are excited that in the coming weeks, we are going to get to really up our game in these three areas through this ministry of impact. Thank you this morning for opening our eyes and challenging us Thank you for reminding us that we have lived all of our lives in the goodness of God. We celebrate that now by remembering you and your death for us as a supreme example of the goodness of God to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.